Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'll be leading you through this week's virtual Bible study once again. Remember, our fundamental goal is knowing God, essentially through the Bible. Now, as I always say, there is no exclusive way to God, but the Bible serves as an entirely sufficient means of getting to know God and begin a lifelong, an eternity-long relationship with God. Together we talk about the scripture readings found in the Revised Common Lectionary from the uh, schedule that uh, has been around for generations in one form or another, and uh, we use those as a guide to our conversation. Unfortunately, it's a one-sided conversation, but I make comments and uh, try to anticipate questions, and then with the help of wisdom and uh, the knowledge of the fathers, that is the traditions of the church and the, and the uh, wonderful experiences that have been uh, made possible to inform all of our understanding, and so on it goes until we arrive at some sort of conclusion about the scriptures we're about to read. So first, let's begin with some announcements and uh, news from Parsons Prairie. Today's podcast is featuring the Revised Common Lectionary readings for May the 21st, 2017. That's the sixth Sunday of Easter. Pentecost is rapidly approaching, as is the move from Parsons Prairie down to the hills and uh, trees and streams of southern Indiana in the vicinity of Jasper. Things are starting to pick up speed in our lives as we begin to click off one event after another that is uh, sort of the checklist that I'm fear that when we get to the end of the checklist, it'll suddenly be the moving day. And yet it's an exciting time as well. I'm starting to get to know the people in our new congregation and uh, enjoying the stories I'm hearing. And I'm excited about the things that we'll do together there. But as I do, we're beginning a series of farewells and uh, and uh, heartfelt and tearful goodbyes here in our present setting. It's always difficult for the itinerant pastor because this job can't be done right and it can't be done well with sincere and genuineness, uh, sincere hearts and genuineness if you don't risk loving the people and investing in their lives with your own. So we do, gladly, and we can honestly say to the people here at Parsons Prairie and in the places we've served before, we love you and we're going to miss you terribly. And we can say with open hearts and genuineness to the people that we will go to serve, we will love you and we will cherish every day with you. And God willing, we'll spend many long years together serving God's holy purposes. Now for tales from uh, Parsons Prairie. Well, I'll tell you, 
the nature has been going crazy around here. All the animals have been busy and active and uh, the warm weather we've had that feels more like June or July than it first week or so in May. But uh, it is welcome considering we had a week of what I would call monsoon rains and uh, the fields are finally starting to dry out now and the farmers are out in the fields resuming their their uh, planting duties and uh, from what I understand cautiously because the ground is so wet and the water uh, the, the subterranean water level is so high in this vicinity that there's a great risk of of soft spots out in those fields even after several days of warm sunshine. I think the weather might be getting ready to change because uh, the strong winds have returned to Parsons Prairie. Now it really never stops blowing up here but uh, we're more accustomed to gale force winds than anything else and uh, it seems that these last uh, few days have been remarkable in that there's just been a gentle breeze most of the time. Now we're back to the usual and I'm watching the the young saplings in the field and near the creek bend over and grow strong roots. And I have one story for you today. I, this week I decided that I'd had enough of the swarming of the carpenter bees around my head as I sat on my back porch to enjoy this beautiful weather while I read and worked and meditated and and uh, I feared that their their work would be destructive in certain ways since they have borne holes into certain posts on the porch and so I decided to make a carpenter bee trap. Now I had some notions based on those that I had seen at other people's homes and I had some scrap wood that hadn't been packed yet and so using tools that hadn't been packed yet and carpentry uh, materials and wood that were not packed yet which means a lot because the good stuff is already boxed up so I was really really working uh, in a more primitive way than uh, than I have in in recent months so I began to make my little trap and I put a little catch basin on it and uh, I hung it up on my porch and and then I sat and I watched. And you know, watching a pot waiting for it to boil is about as exciting. And yet, eventually, the carpenter bees did explore the trap. And eventually, I did begin to trap some carpenter bees. Now, as I was watching them, I had a couple of thoughts that concerned me. I wonder what you would think about these ideas. First of all, they're carpenter bees. Now, if those guys have a union, and so many carpenters do, then I'm beginning to wonder if somehow I might be accused or even threatened with a lawsuit by the Carpenter Bees Union uh, for this uh, breach of uh, civility that has resulted in my placing of traps. And, and that being said, Carpenter Bees, by their very nature, are uh, productive and and uh, capable of, of working with wood and it occurred to me that I should probably be careful about certain things that I enter into uh, around Parsons Prairie because who knows the carpenter bees may have organized and created a pasture trap one never knows
Our scripture reading today that we start with, once again, comes from the Acts of the Apostles. This time we've jumped forward in time a little bit. Uh, Last we read, uh, Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen, the martyr, and now we are hearing the words of Paul as the converted and spirit-filled, zealous apostle who is owning the cause of Jesus in a profound way. So we read then from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And now Psalm 66, verses 8 to 20. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to the place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. He, his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and his, has heard my prayer. Praise be to God 
who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Let us pray. Dear God, linking love with obedience is not the thing we do best. We confess to preferring a teary-eyed, sentimental love that makes no demands, requires no allegiance. But here you are again, calling us to love and obedience, calling us to a different kind of love, love that does or doesn't do, love that demonstrates itself in style of life, thoughts, emotions, and actions. Lead us into this kind of love, we pray, so that the world might know that we are your disciples. Well, let's try a little pastoral pontification now. These readings are interesting in that they speak of developments in the life of the church, in particular this reading from the Acts of the Apostles, that uh, have occurred after Pentecost, and yet we're moving in the Christian year toward Pentecost. So what are the authors of the Revised Common Lectionary trying to tell us here? Um, I think that as we approach the church's birthday, that's the Church Universal with a capital C, or small c, Catholic, for anyone who wants to wrestle with interesting details. Small c, Catholic, means universal. Capital C, Church, means the Church Universal. So when you see it printed that way, you'll know a little better what the author is trying to say. Anyway, so now, after the birth of the Holy, the Church through the Holy Spirit, and after the beginnings of the Church, and after Paul's conversion, and long uh, uh, retooling, you know, he he went to he went back to school, so to speak. He had to uh, unlearn a lot of things in order to be ready to serve God, and and I imagine that Paul still had a lot of his old habits and old personality traits, just as we all do, right? And uh, and yet here he is in Athens, the the seat of of all things Greek and intellectual and philosophical. You know, um, a wonderful rabbi that I listen to regularly often speaks of the effect of Greek culture on our world even today. And uh, it's a remarkable study because it is essentially an entirely humanistic sort of culture. The 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 gods look like us. We um, we celebrate bodies and youth and beauty. We celebrate uh, uh, you know intellectual superiority, and it's, it's very interesting. And this isn't really about that today, but the fact is, is an awful lot of uh, of uh, Greek culture at work in our lives now. And if uh, you're a student of history, you probably know that. Uh, an awful lot of what the Romans claimed as the great Roman culture was sort of co-opted from the Greeks and from the Jews. And uh, a lot of people would argue in uh, Jewish historical circles that much of the Greek culture owes its origins to Jewish tradition. But uh, we'll leave that to the historians to argue. The uh, theological, doctrinal thing that we want to look at is, is that Paul has... Uh, 
smoothly and astutely identified to the people in Athens that they're clearly incomplete in their religious practice. That is to say, they've got uh, monuments to all sorts of gods, but they have uh, they have felt that in their wisdom and in their uh, uh, humanness that there should be an altar to an unknown god. And he very uh, succinctly says to them, look, I know who that god is. I know because I know him. And it's difficult to imagine how the people responded to this, but my guess is, is that being people who took great pride in their intellect and their superior humanity, um, people of a very liberal mindset, I would say, uh, are often uh, willing to listen to new ideas. They're very uh, open to to the thoughts of others. But uh, like most of us, if they're really committed to their beliefs, they're not easily swayed. And uh, so they probably listened with great interest to Paul as he spoke. But don't worry so much about what Paul was saying to those people or whether he was effective. What we hear that is so much more important to us as believers are doctrinal truths that we should grab onto for our sanctification, our journey with God. He says, first of all, that God is invisible. But God is uh, above and beyond creation. That is to say that God is not one of the things that was created. God is the creator. And so in that way, he declares that God is entirely apart from creation. He's wholly other than that which he has created. He exists outside of the time and the space and the things that he created. Now, we use the word he not to... And, in, uh, in any way imply that God is male, but simply as a convenience. And the next thing that we really see clearly is that Paul uh, wants us to understand that this God has made us his offspring, that we are the children of God. And he goes one further, and this, this is really one of my favorite passages in Scripture. He goes on to say that it is actually in him that we live and move and have our being. Now, you'll have to listen to my Sunday sermon broadcast to hear uh, my exposition of the whole concept of being and how it is that that says something so profound about the nature of our relationship with God. But, but understand this, Paul is saying that the invisible and unseen God, who is the master creator of all that is, holds it all together. And it is, in fact, through that God that we have our very sense of being, that uh, He's, he's kind of playing on the intellectual superiority and uh, the philosophical uh, breadth and depth of the people of Athens by saying, you know, you have a great deal of, of uh, pride in your thinking ability. And uh, what you need to know is, is that very thought, that very uh, uh, sense of your personhood that is the... Uh, the source of your thinking and your unique view of creation 
uh, it is from God because it is in God that we live and breathe and move and have our being. It is as though God is one in our spirits, whether we welcome that or not. And so perhaps one of the most insulting things you can say to God is, is that I do all of this great intellectual and philosophical work. I do all of my creating. I do all of my uh, uh, earning and my, my best things are all from me. I do it. It is entirely from me. You know, let's face it, we all find it kind of insulting and frustrating when we're around people who are particularly arrogant. When we watch the sports star who is convinced that he is the greatest or she is the greatest at what they do because they're just better than everybody else at it and that the only reason they've succeeded is because they've worked harder and developed their gifts more and uh, it bothers us because there's something in us that tells us that uh, no one should be so proud of what they have accomplished if only because they owe certain parts of their achievements to at least other people. Uh, Very few people can live in isolation and achieve great things, and if they do in isolation, then who knows and who cares? And so if you want others to acknowledge your gifts and uh, your skills and uh, your successes, you kind of have to collaborate with other people, uh, at least so that they can accommodate your need for recognition And so, no one is an island. It's really true. And yet, Paul, speaking of God the Father in heaven, Yahweh, is making it clear that uh, we really can't even take credit for the part that we thought came from us. And he doesn't say this to bring us down or to make us feel bad. He just simply says that God is interested in unity with us and within the body, that he is the source of it all, and it is God's desire that we would be one with God, that we would celebrate the gifts that God has given us, and that we would develop the gifts that God has given us, and then give God glory for it. And uh, so I think that's an important image for us Christians to keep in mind. But uh, clearly Paul's purpose is to say to the people who are highly humanistic and committed to a view of the world and themselves that is all about human intellect and human achievement and, and uh, uh, the pride in, in humanity that they feel. Uh, he simply wants to say to them, if you guys were so smart, why would you even create a monument to an unknown God? And at least that's the way I interpret it. If you thought that you were so perfect, then you wouldn't do that. And then the psalmist says to us, in effect, in Psalm 66, that, uh, that, that he, he gives an example of how God is at work in the people. And, and it seems to be a reference to the Exodus people of Israel, but I think that there is a more um, uh, poetic meaning here. The God of the people has uh, been worthy of our praise, and we even thank him for the tests that he allows us to go through. He, he refines us and makes us better, that when we have 
given him the credit for being the source of our very uh, soul and the informant of our intellect and our soul that is the one who who enables all that we do that uh, we might be tempted to take pride in. Uh, this psalm seems to say, yeah, but our comings and goings and our highs and our lows are all known to God and perhaps even part of God's plan for us. And therefore, we must worship God, though we're not always sure we want to. We should give God all the glory and to hold great love for God in our hearts. And, uh, you know, there's an old saying, God inhabits praise. What we got to do, especially in times of testing, is give praise to God and watch how God emerges from the praise. Our next scripture reading comes from the letters of Peter. We're going to read 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, that is, verses 13 to 22. And uh, here's Peter speaking in his letter to the people. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, <clears throat> to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the Lord's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And now from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Jesus is speaking. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I confess that uh, this uh, reading from Peter especially was hard for me to tie together with the other readings. And, you know, I, I know other people who practice using the Revised Common Lectionary, and they have often said to me in, in these other relationships with it that you don't have to make it all fit together, that that's not what it was designed to do. And uh, I know that, but my experience has taught me that it almost always does. And so I'm always a little disappointed when I can't see it because there's something there. So what do I see then when I read this letter from Peter? Well, of course, he is living in a time of persecution in the church and long after Jesus fulfilled the promise that he spoke of in the gospel reading. Peter was there when Jesus said, now I'm going to leave soon, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. And now Peter living in this uh, new time where the Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence in all of our hearts and all of our lives and in and around everything we do, then that's Peter saying, so don't be afraid. It's not as though what you are doing for the glory of Christ is going unnoticed by heaven. In fact, Christ himself is a witness to how you try to glorify him and live for his namesake. He has cleared your conscience so that you don't need to operate with a feeling of guilt or shame. You simply do out of love for God and out of sense of uh, obedient service to one whom you owe so much and you love so much. Uh, you do all of this because it is something you can't help doing. I'm fond of saying we worship God because we just can't help it. And this is my heartfelt desire that everyone who serves and worships God would do so because they can't help it, because they have to, because they just feel so compelled by their love and appreciation and their deep and sincere devotion. Well, that's the idea. And I want it to be true in my life and yours. And in this way, we're made alive in the Holy Spirit, says Peter. And uh, it means that uh, even as Jesus is moving methodically through his death and resurrection, he is doing so for love of those even generations who preceded his time on earth. And... Uh, it's remarkable. Peter gives us some insights that tell us a little bit about the nature of Jesus' redemptive act. And so some people have said, well, so what happened on Saturday? Maybe you've heard that question. You know, we Christians celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross on Friday. We recall at Good Friday services how he was placed in the tomb and uh, then we come back on Sunday morning and we celebrate that he has emerged from the tomb and that he's alive. And yet there's this question, so what happened in between? And Peter gives us a little bit of a hint. He says that Jesus in spirit has gone to the place where the disobedient were and he has released them. Uh, it's pretty fascinating to think that this may very well be the Sheol 
that was part of the tradition of the uh, Old Testament people. Um, that is to say that, that people uh, who died before Christ's death and resurrection went to a sort of a holding place. And uh, I don't know if they were conscious there or not, but they weren't in hell and they weren't in heaven. They were just in uh, a holding place and that that's where their spirits dwelt. And Jesus has released them. And uh, there have been interesting stories about how, uh, what exactly does it mean when it says in the scripture that, that Jesus, uh, when he died on the cross, there was a great earthquake and people came out of their graves. And, and then it said that uh, others were alive and seen who had been dead. And uh, I, it's all very fascinating and it leaves us wondering and uh, trying to understand it. But uh, there are hints throughout Scripture that give us at least enough to speculate about. Now the question is, is, does it change our doctrine? Does it change our faith in Christ? Not really. What it says to us is that Christ's gift is so universal that even those who died long before he gave it have benefited from it. And so we have Peter saying to us that... Uh, our baptism is a sign of that forgiveness. It is a sign that we have been made right in the presence of God so that we can have a clear conscience and uh, we then can join with the angels and all the authorities and powers of the world in submission to the authority of Christ who invites us to be a part of the family of God. Now, Jesus says then, that there's coming a time when he's going to depart the people. Uh, he's going to leave after he has risen from the grave, and this is what we would call the ascension of our Lord, and it is commemorated on a certain day of the year, and it is meant to remind us that he did not stay in the physical form. And I'm kind of glad, if you know what I mean here, because I've often thought that had Jesus been alive and stayed in Jerusalem, then uh, in effect what we would have to do to experience the presence of God in Jesus is we'd either have to make a trip to, uh, to the Holy Land and try to get uh, somewhere even close to him. I and mean, you've seen millions of Catholics do that as they try to be in the presence of the Pope. And uh, people consider themselves fortunate if they're among the thousands who uh, who sit, stand outside for hours waiting for the Pope to appear at the window for a minute at St. Peter's Square. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, can you imagine that exponentially if uh, Jesus had remained on earth in this physical form and, uh, and the only way to experience him was to wait for the Jesus tour to arrive in your, your country and then to join millions and millions to try to just get a glimpse of him. And uh, instead what he does out of love and grace is he ascends to heaven and then sends the Spirit to be with us wherever we are so that it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what state you are in. And uh, I don't mean state uh, like state in the union, but just what what is the condition of your, your body is, is irrelevant. You can be infirmed in some way and confined to a bed. You can be young and healthy, and it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is with you. 
the Holy Spirit is God's presence. It's Jesus with us wherever we are. And not only that, but when we welcome the Holy Spirit in, we are made new. We're invited into a new kind of life. And it's so exciting to think about that. To imagine being born into an existence that changes the inner workings of your spirit. That is to say, your hardware stays the same, but your software gets a complete changeover. And in the process, you become sons and daughters of God. Part of the family of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. That this is how it happens. That all of this imagery from the Apostle Paul, from the Apostle Peter, from the psalmist, it it all points to us being united with God through Jesus because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and now have the same DNA as God the Father. Our DNA has been rewritten and we are now the descendants, the brothers and sisters, the predecessors of even, those who will be a part of this divine family. And what's the purpose in it? To live abundantly, to fear nothing, and to serve God with everything you've got so that you might be at peace with God and with your neighbor and uh, unafraid of the devil and all of those who would harm you for your devotion to God. I want to sincerely thank you for listening to this podcast and joining me in this virtual Bible study. I am humbled that you find it of value in any way. I'm humbled that you uh, support it with your regular return to it each week. Uh, I don't have any way of knowing really who you are and how you come to be listening to this, but my uh, my technological uh, resources, that is to say this, uh, this mechanism through which this broadcast is made possible, tells me that how many hits I get and uh, it tells me even a little bit about what part of the world you're from. And if my, uh, if my information that comes through my software is correct, there's even somebody listening from New Zealand. Well, that's pretty cool. And uh, I'd love to come visit you someday. I think that is one of the most beautiful places on earth that I would love to see again. See again. I've only seen it on TV. If I've watched a movie that was filmed there or heard about it from friends, I have a Maori friend who grew up there on the South Island who likes to tell me stories. I digress, as usual. In any case, I am so, so honored that you listen. And I thank you for supporting the churches that pay my salary and therefore pay this extended ministry. Uh, into existence. And so please support Corinth United Methodist Church or Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can look them up on the internet at CorinthUMC.com or ShilohUM.org. If you're not a part of one of those two churches, then I hope you will be a part of a church somewhere. It's incredibly important that you don't do this alone. Don't listen to these podcasts and say, I've done as much as I need to do. That's selfish. I'm sorry if that insults you or hurt your feelings. 
It's selfish to only participate in the things that are easy for you to participate in. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is following the disciplines of the Master. Our Master is Christ our Lord, and He communicates truth through the Holy Spirit. And one of those truths is is that you have to be a part of a community of faith. You have to be part of the family of God. You can't receive the DNA and not have anything to do with your family. And we all know what that's like. All of us have family members who, for whatever reason, don't spend any time with us or don't communicate with us very often. And it leaves us wondering what's going on, and it makes us feel sad. And uh, that's the same way it is with the family of God. If you're not there, you're missed. So please, be a part of a church family. And I understand that some of them are better or worse than others. And I understand that some fit your tastes and your personality better than others. And God, in his great grace and love, has allowed multiple forms of worship and denominations and various other kinds of religious activity, probably for that reason. That means God has a place prepared for you, and I urge you to go and be a part of it. For now, I hope that you have encountered God again through this podcast, and I hope that it has spurred your spiritual journey. And I look forward to talking to you again next time. Until then, God bless you, and goodbye.